listening to Untethered Podcast, and I'm your host, Katie Vogel. This episode is special and different from our usual flow because it's the audio recording of an event we did last summer called Untethered Table. After my friend Maddie opened up about her journey with postpartum depression and anxiety in episode one of the podcast last year, I received messages from many women who had realized for the first time that they weren't alone in their struggle with mental illness. I'm personally very passionate about the topic of mental health, especially in the context of faith, because I've been on my own journey with anxiety and depression for over a decade, and I've had a lot of frustrating experiences with the stigma on mental illness over the years. And that stigma assumes that those struggling with mental illness are spiritually weak, not reading their Bible enough, unbelieving and unfit for ministry, and the result of that stigma is shame and shattered self-esteem and, most notably, isolation because no one wants to tell their Christian friends that they're depressed. They don't want to expose themselves to that kind of judgment. So they suffer in silence, and the enemy wins, at least in the short term. But when that weapon of isolation is torn from the enemy's hands because women like Maddie are willing to open up about their experiences, hope rises. We get the courage to admit what's going on within us, and that's the first step towards healing. It starts with knowing we're not alone. So in light of the revelation these women were having, I thought, how can I reinforce this idea that they're not alone? And I feel like God just dropped in my heart. Let's get everyone together. So we announced a dinner event where we'd connect and discuss mental health and every seat filled. Actually, more than every seat, we had more people show up than registered, so we had to find extra chairs and we ran out of food. (laughs) So we had the room set up with round tables of eight with a leader at every table, and I told everyone at the beginning, you need to treat this like it's week seven of a small group semester. No time for small talk. Tonight is all we've got, so let's get vulnerable. And it was amazing to look across the room and see over 50 women in discussion, laughing, crying, and being reminded again and again that there are other women going through this. Women who love God and honestly look like they have it all together. Women who seem strong because they are strong. I get so fired up when people begin to recognize the strength and vulnerability. It's a game changer. It was a game changer for me. So we talked at our tables through dinner, and then I got up to say a few words. So I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression in 20, 2007, 2007. <laughs> and um, it, it's been a long 11 years, frankly. There's been lots of lows. And I'm so grateful to be able to say that I've really come to a place of steadiness, and a place that I really feel like God's ready to use what I've experienced to hopefully continue to propel others into a new season of healing because I feel like He's taking me to that place. And I think a lot of people are in this place that are entering into that season as well. And I'm really excited about that. And then there are others of us who just want to be okay. And I've spent, I spent years just wanting to be okay. Um, it was just the greatest desire of my heart. And, you know, I, when I heard that, like, you know, that Christ came that we would have life and have it abundantly, it was like, well, abundance sounds nice, but okay, I would settle for okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I believe every word in the Word of God. But I think that it's important for us to understand that we can believe something without having hope for it. 
And that's something that I really want us to kind of get a hold of tonight. Um, because hope is our fuel for life. And so if we are just believing in something but not hoping for it, then we do not actually have any momentum behind <coughs> us. And we need momentum, ladies. Like when we are struggling with, with these things that feel like they keep us so weighed down, momentum is everything. Having one next step, one next hope is everything. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think I'm learning right now what it means to trust in the God of hope. He calls himself the God of hope. And in that verse, the Greek word for hope is elpis, and it means to anticipate. It's the expectation of something that is sure. And so we need to think of God as the God of expectation. And as daughters of God, we need to be daughters of expectation. We need to be women of expectation. I spent a lot of time, like years, just kind of holding on to promises in the word by a thread. Just like, okay, well, you said this in your word, so I guess it's true. So eventually, you're going to finish the good work you started in me. Or eventually... I'm going to be able to walk in that abundance probably, you know, but it's kind of this passive holding on to these promises. And I think as Christian women, we can totally be like, yes, I have promises on my wall and in my car and all these things, you know, where, and we surround ourselves with truth, but we don't actually put anticipation behind the truth. And when we don't do that, we don't have, we don't, when we don't anticipate our healing, we live in this kind of limbo. And I just want to encourage us tonight that we have to have hope. It just hit me, honestly, recently um, because I was, I've, I've dealt with a lot of junk postpartum. Um, I'm almost two years postpartum. And literally, I was just telling my table, my hair, I have a spot in my hair that fell out last week. And that usually happens like in pregnancy or like right after. And it's like my body's still joyfully going through this process. <laughs> and I'm just like, thank you, Lord, for this. You know, and I went through three weeks where my poor husband could just tell that I got frustrated at like the slightest thing. And it's so annoying. These forces outside of our control, whether it's hormones or any other thing that our bodies are going through or our lives are going through that we have such a hard time processing. Like, I hated that I couldn't just be my normal, steady self for my husband. Like, why did I have to get so frustrated so easily? And I realized that I would just been kind of holding on to like, you know, the, the, the promises that God has for my marriage or for my family are there. And I was at lunch with Amy, and I was like, I just realized that I'm not actually living with anticipation of these promises coming to fruition in my life. And once, we, once I realized that hope is absolutely necessary to us, it is life to us, it gives us a reason to wake up in the morning, it's living today with hope for tomorrow being better, that it allows us to keep going. And I think 
that we need to renew our trust in the God of expectation and recognize that God is looking at us full of expectation to fulfill his promises for our life. He is expectant. He is the God of expectation. He's the God of hope. And so if we can put ourselves in God's, like, see through his eyes to see how he's seeing our situations and to be able to go, God is anticipating the fulfillment of his promises for my life and live every day knowing that our God is excited to allow those things to come to fruition, whether it's on our timeline or not, and it's usually not, then we can live with greater faith and allow our faith to rise in his anticipation. Because I do believe that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. I do believe he has plans to prosper you. I do believe that your life is meant to be abundant because Christ died so that you would have that abundance. And so let your hope stir tonight. Let your faith rise so that you can be someone who lives with confident expectation because you serve a God who is anticipating those promises to come to fruition for you. I hope that if you leave with one thing tonight, that it is that hope and that anticipation um, for your healing, for your freedom. And um, I, we got you something that hopefully you'll be able to just carry with you every day to remind you that hope is your weapon in this, in this fight and to walk in that walk in that armor, walk in that ability to fight the enemy every day. So um, Holland and Birch uh, partnered with us to be able to provide a gift for you guys. So your table hosts are gonna hand that out to you now. At this point, we were able to give each of our guests a brass cuff that had the word hope stamped on it. A local jewelry maker in Birmingham who owns the shop Holland & Birch partnered with us to be able to afford this gift, and I'm so grateful for their generosity and willingness to work with us. It was one of my favorite moments of the evening, and each lady left with a tangible reminder to daily stand in agreement with our God of hope, joining in His anticipation of the fulfillment of His promises. I truly believe our path forward out of any season of heaviness begins with the expectation that change is coming. That God is going to do something new. After everyone received their bracelets, we got up to grab delicious lavender cupcakes, chocolate torts, and coffee that were generously provided by Mason Dixon Bakery and Nonfiction Coffee Company. Then it was time for the panel. I asked our guests to submit questions in advance, and our panel addressed as many as we could. We're really excited about this panel. I'm really excited. I think that we have four um, absolutely incredible women of God here to share with you. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about them and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. The lady on the end is my number one cheerleader for my life. That's my mom, Donna. Um, my mom uh, has, a, has a master's in psychology and though she is not like a current practicing um, psychologist, uh, she sh sure is in our lives. Right? She's, raised, she's raised kids who have had moments of different mental issues, but she's also brilliant with childhood development, and so she's just been so instrumental 
in our lives and helping me raise my son. And um, But she has personal experience with mental illness and then has helped countless family members through those seasons. And she's a massive reader. So they say if you read five books on something, you're an expert. My mom's read like 30 books on mental illness. So she is like massively knowledgeable about this. And so I'm really excited to have her. Amy is has a master's in social work. Close. <laughs> Close to a master's in social work. And uh, she, works with, um, she works at the Dream Center in Birmingham, um, has worked with the mentally ill in Woodlawn for a really long time, and also has personal experience with, you know, all the things that we're here to talk about tonight. And, um, and she's one of my best friends, so I'm really excited to have her here. And then Maddie. Most of you, like I said earlier, know Maddie from our first episode of the podcast. Um, and so most of y'all know who she is. Um, but um, A lot of who I am. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of the podcast. And if you missed that episode of the podcast, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Maddie really opened up about her journey postpartum. It was very, very difficult, and she's wonderfully vulnerable. And um, I think a lot of people have found a lot of healing. This actually, this event came out of Maddie's willingness to open up because so many people responded and said, I'm so glad I'm not alone. And so I was like, yeah, you're not. Let's all hang out. So <laughs> that's why we're here. So thank you, Maddie. And then this lady on my right is my counselor. This is Arlie. I hang out with Arlie a lot. <laughs> she, she really helps me. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to have a counselor here um, but I wanted to have mine here, just so you guys can know that she's mine. And she can be yours, too, probably. I don't know. I don't know what her schedule's like. But I, I wanted to... I really hope that you know that counseling's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that you know that you're not weird if you go, <laughs> you know? Um, that it's something that's strong to do. That it's something that's healthy to do. And... Um, yeah, find you a good counselor. I have one. I have one. So. And you can trust Arlie because look at her shoes. They're right. so amazing. <laughs> like, yes. Just trust someone that wears shoes like that. <laughs> well, we had a few questions come in that I want to make sure that we go over. Um, the first one, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with someone specific, um, but everybody's gonna kind of weigh in if they have something to share. So, um, Mom Donna. Um, Someone asked, how do you explain or help your spouse and family understand your mental struggles? How do you keep that conversation going without beating a dead horse? And how did your spouse walk alongside you through your more difficult seasons with depression or anxiety? Okay. <laughs> um, my first thought is that to help your spouse or all of your loved ones understand what you're going through, you need to understand it. And you especially need to understand how physical, the physical nature of what you're going through. You need to understand that you have a physical problem that is manifesting in some mental health problems for yourself. And uh, she mentioned about reading. I'm going to recommend a book to you. <laughs> um, uh, Wayne Cordero is a uh, pastor from uh, Hawaii, and he wrote a book a number of years ago called Leading on Empty. And it's his story of his 
mental collapse. Basically, at the height of everything going incredibly well. Uh, he was out for a jog, I think, one day, and he just dropped to his knees, and he was a mess. And so his uh, story, you know, of course, it's, it's leading on empty and what we need, have to do to protect ourselves and refuel ourselves. But in it, uh, in the beginning, he lays out the most understandable, thorough, in my mind, understanding of the physical nature of what you go through with mental health. And so that, I think, made it super clear to me. And then I, I was able to share that with my spouse. And um, most people, uh, you know, may not read as much as you do, so you have to kind of highlight and then go, can you just read the highlights? <laughs> You'll get the gist of what I'm, what I'm going through. Um, but that helped Neil to understand that it was a physical thing because um, my husband's a marine fighter pilot histor historically and now still is a pilot. He doesn't understand weakness. And so it is not uncommon for your husband as well as other loved ones and society in general to do this as weakness. And so uh, understanding the physical nature of it transformed his life and his attitude and his love, ability to support us well in our family. Um, so I think that's key. I think um, understanding, as far as walking it together, uh, believe it or not, I have to lay something on us, and that is we have to be patient with their, you know, men, they want to fix it. And so they get all mad because they can't fix it. And um, so I think just understanding that and kind of giving them something they actually can do to help you. You know, like, well, what I really need is for you to uh, just hug me or just give me some space or, you know, just let me vent. And, and you can even announce that ahead of time. I'm going to vent now. <laughs> just so they don't think they need to fix. Um, let the venting commence. Yeah, yeah. But I think that uh, that helped. And then just... You know, especially if you deal with anxiety, it's going to come out in irritability in women. That's kind of the major symptom. Um, so be be ready to apologize and just say, this isn't me. Kind of like Katie said, I really want to be different than this. <laughs> you know, but sometimes I'm not. And so. I'll add, and something I was sharing with my table, and I kind of have this with a few different relationships, but since... You were talking some about the husband. For my husband, and I feel like this was pretty unanimous at our table. Everyone's like, my husband is so amazing and supportive, but he doesn't get it. You know, and the kind of story I told is that my husband was like, I mean, I know what it's like to like be stressed out about work. And I'm like, as do I, and I appreciate that, but like, that is not this. <laughs> you know, I, I like, and I totally like appreciated him. He's going there as best he can, yeah. you know, I'm like. Um, but something that we ended up doing really just out of necessity for survival was he started going to counseling with me and I had been going and I was in very much if you listen to the podcast my postpartum anxiety and depression went untreated for a few months um, and it that can really cause it to spiral downward so mine got pretty um, pretty pretty desperate in a bad place to where I saw a psychiatrist who said you must take six weeks off work you cannot be the primary caretaker for your son so it was a pretty, you know, it got into a pretty desperate spot. So 
in just trying to survive, I was going to counseling and, and I started to have Woody come along just so he could hear what my counselor was telling me um, because it can be hard for me even sometimes to explain it. I was just figuring it out myself, mm -hmm. this being the first time I'd really faced something to this degree. So he was just coming to hear what she said to help just reinforce it at home and and it really ended up helping him not that he didn't believe me but again we talked about like you can like understand or see a broken arm but like you can't see what I will call like a broken brain you're just a brain that's not fully healthy and so it just can be it can just really be hard to understand of like all the things that you're feeling so that was huge just to hear him to have him hear a professional respond to me and validate some of the things and, and just kind of Oh wow! Okay, like I, I'm, I'm starting to understand this more because she could explain it in ways that I couldn't. So that's kind of from the husband's side. Um, but I'll just add to um, relationship-wise. And again, I'm, you know, people with masters all surrounding me. But so this, this is just with what again from my story. I think in retrospect, some of what helped my mom and a couple of my closest friends understand was letting them see me in my weak moments. Um, and I have had multiple of them, and, and this is not everyone, and it wasn't showing up at work freaking out, I wasn't going to work at all, you know, could barely dry my hair. Um, <laughs> I was like, I know. Um, but um, in fact, one of my very best friends who had a daughter um, two weeks after my son was born came over the day after I went to the emergency room before counseling and medication and anything was in effect this was the very beginning of like getting that help and I was having just a panic attack and freaking out and Woody was trying to help me take this medicine and and you could just I just remember the look on her face and it was supportive but her daughter was there in her little you know pumpkin seat and I just remember saying like I know you don't want her to see me like this like I, I know you don't feel like safe her being around me and she's like honey I'm not concerned with that but I later found out that she told her other friend Courtney like I understand now. Like, I saw it in action. And I'm not saying just every Joe Blow off the street, but, like, don't be afraid to have those moments in front of your close people because, and even for my husband seeing me in the shower, screaming out, like, God, please, just take this away. Just seeing that, he's like, that is not how I'm used to seeing you. So, and same for my mom. When she got to Birmingham, she was like, oh, okay this is something so just being willing to be vulnerable that really helped yeah. them peek inside and come cool. alongside me that you know this isn't a stressful day at work absolutely absolutely I think that when they can see that it's different from their experience like you were saying that that just that helps it changes so much you really need to help them also understand that they're not causing it um, that that it's not about them and that you're and that we're not trying to hurt them or make their lives difficult you know that we're just doing our best and I think that the more that you keep that conversation open and that dialogue open then um, then the more that they can go on the process and journey of beginning to understand so that's really good um, Arlie um, someone said I have OCD and struggle with intrusive thoughts and images that typically involve violence. How can I experience renewing in my mind when I deal with this? And I think that um, I did anyway, had a terrible misunderstanding about what renewing of the mind meant and my mm -hmm. part in making that happen. Um, 
when we renew our minds, we have to go back and shed um, truth on it. And we have to identify what it is that we're believing. And a lot of times we don't want to do that because it hurts. But until we identify what we're believing and actually arguing with it and coming to the point that this is not true, then we're going to stay in that. And what causes us to renew our minds is to actually, first of all, identify what the lies that we're doing, bring them to light, replace them with truth. And as we're going through that process, you're actually changing your mind because most of our thoughts are very automatic and most of, our, and most of what we think is, is not even conscious thoughts. So a lot of, most of the time when we're feeling like that or when we're feeling bad, we actually have to dare ourselves to go, why am I feeling this way? What am I thinking? And actually rumble with that because we have to identify what is this that I think is true. And renewing of the minds actually takes work on our part to actually change the way we think and most in identifying the lies into truth. We have to shed light on what we're believing, argue with it, and replace it with truth. And everything that we do has to go through that process. Otherwise, we will go through, our table was talking about the spiraling effect. That spiraling effect happens because of automatic thoughts. It's kind of like getting in your car and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to the store. Um, it's When you first started driving, you you were aware of every single thing you did. Put the car you, you know, in reverse, look in the rearview mirror, watch the kids in the back, make sure they haven't jumped. And, and you're very aware of every single step you're taking. Once you've done it enough and you've actually your mind has actually taken it in, you could actually get in your car now and not think about it and actually be on a phone conversation, but you're not at all aware of, of the mechanisms that you're going through. Changing the thoughts of your mind or, or changing your mind has to go through that same process of actually being aware step by step what is going on subconsciously and then changing it. And when you go through that process, that is the process of renewing your mind. It's not some people think that, okay, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, I have the Holy Spirit, but I'm still thinking like this. Well, until you take those thoughts captive, in other words, what is it I'm thinking? Why am I thinking this? Is this true? Until you take those captive, you can't be set free. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Yeah. So if, if someone is experiencing those kind of invasive thoughts or even just invasive anxious thoughts, um, and they're triggered by something, and they start that spiral. How can how can they stop it before okay, the, it really um, That's a great word. Uh, another thing that uh, one of the questions that we're asked is, how can I stop the triggers? Well, you don't want to stop the triggers because the triggers are related to memory. So if you want to stop the bad triggers, you're going to have to stop the good triggers. And you don't want to do that because you want to remember how great your kids are. And you want to remember happy moments. And you want to remember your wedding day. You want to remember those. And you want to, a, a song to remind you of those pleasant things. So we're going to have good triggers, which you don't want to get rid of. And you're going to have bad triggers that we have to deal with. So if you get rid of the triggers, you're not going to have good or bad. So we have to invite the triggers. You have to actually embrace the triggers. You have to say, okay, what just happened? What just reminded me of that? Where did it take me? How come I'm feeling this way? You actually have to give yourself permission and be brave to go there. 
because we do the opposite. We try to say, I'm not going to think about it, I'm going to do this, I'm going to distract myself, and all the isms come in, the alcoholism, the, the Facebookism, and all of that to distract us because we're afraid to feel it. But unless we feel it and identify it, we won't know what's triggering it. And if something is being triggered, it's telling you, we need to deal with this. We need to deal with this. We need to deal with this. So we don't want the triggers to go away because it's, it goes hand in hand with memory. Okay. Um, Amy, yeah. when we are in a season where we are dealing with something that's very difficult, um, how do we go into our workplaces and portray ourselves honestly? Um, how, do we, how do we function uh, well and also be honest in our workplace environment? Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to use a term that might sound wrong at first, but let me explain it. But there are, and I know it's just from personal experience, I mean, obviously we have to work and we have to keep moving. You know, it's only going to intensify mental illness if we're not able to go on the job and do things. So in some areas, you fake it till you make it. And you put on the smile, and that's okay. You don't have to air your business to everyone. I actually think that's created more issues, um, going out there and just letting all of our feelings and all of our deepest hurts and wounds out there and inviting people who don't know you, who aren't safe, to then have a response, which can in turn actually cause you to feel worse about what you're going through. So I think it's so key about identifying who are the right people that I can trust, that I can feel safe around. Identifying those people, setting up a regular schedule where you're going, I do pastoral care, but I go and get pastoral care because I need a safe place to just air my grievances, sometimes air things that maybe aren't rational, then I'll let them out, and I'm like, okay, that wasn't rational, reel it back in, um, or let someone check me on my emotions. But I have a very safe and secure place to do that with very trusted people who know me, who know the strength in me, who know the weaknesses in me, who aren't going to judge me, who, um, who will support me in that. But then I don't, I don't give that to everyone. Everyone shouldn't have a right to every single part of us. And there's levels of relationships in my life, and people have certain access. And I think we get into trouble when we, we do kind of let it all out there in the wrong places, and then we get wounded and hurt. And then we've had that bad experience we never want to share again. So I think really just creating environments that are safe, um, environments that are supportive. And then there are those moments where, you know, there were several years where I was broken on the inside. I felt like I was dying every day of my life. And I went to work, and what I would do is I would give myself a challenge. God, help me to encourage one person today. And so I would set a goal to get me through that day, even though I felt like death on the inside. I was like, you have given me this day, Lord. And going back to the thoughts, every it's all in the mind. I mean, mm -hmm. the battle is one in the mind. So for me, I don't just think positive thoughts and think good thoughts. Out loud, I would drive to work and say, God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you that you've given me this day. God, I thank you that I have the mind of Christ. And I would just say, Lord, I trust that you're going to help me get through this day. And God, not only that, you're going to give me purpose in it, purpose in this pain. And so I would kind of set a goal with myself in that to help me get through that day. And then again, after that, knowing that I had a place to go back and get refreshed, refilled, encouraged, um, really helped me get through those seasons where I just felt like I was kind of coasting through and and. And in a sense, faking it in some areas, which is okay. <laughs> when you have a healthy community there to support you. So on that kind of same note of, you know, you get in your car and you say what you need to hear. Maddie, 
what are some of the things that you've done on difficult days? Like, what are some attainable goals that you set that kind of got to you day to day in your, like, really dark seasons? Mm -hmm. Did you set some small goals that helped you get through? Mm -hmm. uh, one of them, and this was, you know, and I know we've talked about this in varying degrees, but I'm so grateful for the people, the professionals that I got help from particularly my counselor and my psychiatrist who were just so intentional and such a perfect blend for me. Um, but one thing that they both helped me do was realign my expectations of myself. And so like my psychiatrist said, I do not want you doing anything caring for your son unless you want to do it. Because par I, I didn't experience the... Um, anything where I didn't like like him or like some of those things that can very often happen in postpartum but I would get very anxious like there were moments that if I even looked at the monitor I would I would start to freak out and I would sometimes wake up just going like I can't care for my son like 18 years like I'm trapped I like and it wasn't that I didn't want him or love him I just in this routine of breastfeeding and work and, and all these changes I felt trapped in my life and so that and and being someone who is you know can be type a and has dealt you know lived a life of like wanting to perform i was a firstborn like straight a student you know all those things like found a lot of my worth in my performance well you can imagine in motherhood like from getting him to sleep from producing milk to you know all of the things um so they helped me realign my expectations um and i was telling our group make sure you hear me say this correctly but my counselor always would tell me Stop shooting on yourself. Clear. <laughs> should s h o u l d shooting, like because we do that. It's like, well, I should be able to do this. I should be able to care for him, and I should be able to go to work, and I should be able to fix my hair, and I should be able to, you know, be intimate with my husband, and I should be able to clean the house. It's like, says who? Like, what are you know? Like, what do you, who who says that? And then really, for me, a lot of that came from control and pride, um, because the Lord's like. You are, like, trying to do this all on your own, sister. Like, I will fuel you, and you're working for the wrong things. And my psychiatrist as well very practically helped me change my expectations by saying things like, you don't do anything for your son unless you want to. So smart of her because what did that do? It helped me find joy in it again. It helped me find, hey, Mom, I'm going to change this diaper. And then also having the freedom to go, there you go. You can give him his bottle and go to bed. Like, and I can go sit on the couch and read a magazine. Like, and that might sound like, you know, in the past I'd have been like, what a terrible mom. But like, I was, I was so desperate. Like, this was a matter of survival. Like, and so I think that was a huge thing of just re resetting those expectations um, and letting myself off the hook a little bit. Um, I don't feel like that exactly answered your question, but that's what came out. So, crazy, like in seasons, like darker seasons, when necessarily maybe I wasn't going to work, um, and some of you, you can get to a place medically where you can't. So, like, you're just, I had seasons where I couldn't blow dry my hair. Yeah. <laughs> that was a win. I'd take a nap after. Because of, of physical sickness mm -hmm. that I was going through that actually perpetuated depression. But I know for one of the things that's really helped is like creating wins for yourself. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like, hey, I made the bed today. 
like, and when I work with people and pastor, like, we'll find little things to help them win that kind of build momentum. So maybe you can't do, like, so many things, but what's an easy win that you know will give you confidence, will encourage you, will help you feel better, even if that's all you do today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that looking for those little wins that do kind of just ignite that fire and that hope in you. And something my psychiatrist gave me very practically as well is she said, you need to have activities like find things that give you joy so go to pilates or what do you love to do like you know do you like to write or draw or whatever and at the time mind you i mean no motivation to do these things like and katie's probably smiling because it got to the point when woody would go to those (laughs) appointments with me and then we would like come home and he'd be like all right what are your activities for tomorrow? And I'm like, I am not your kindergartner, okay? Like, he was like I'm not pulling out the scissors and paper. Like, I don't need craft time, buddy. You know? But he was just like, but my mom would go with me. She came and lived with us for um, a little while. Um, and we would go, I mean, I can tell you how much time I spent at the summit. Like, just, we just had to get out. Like, I mean, just go. And I would walk, like, I just can't even tell you. I would walk through the stores and it would just feel like lifeless. Like, looking at people, how are you smiling? How do you care about your stupid shoes? You know, like, you know, like, life here. Like, what, how do you care about these frivolous things, you know? Um, but just getting out and committing to, even when I didn't feel like it, forcing myself to eat what I could, that was another thing. I had no appetite. Um, and, yeah, so that was really helpful, just kind of making a plan and sticking with it, yeah. whether I felt like it or not, and having the support system. To be yeah. like, what are we doing today? Yeah. To the summit again we go. You know, <laughs> and, you know as far as, like, I think that it's important for us to give ourselves like permission to just celebrate today's yes. wins. Yes. Um, when I was pregnant with Jonah, the very beginning of my pregnancy, I was very mentally unhealthy. I had come out of this very mm-hmm. mentally unhealthy season, and praise God, Luke married me, and then I was still <laughs> mentally unhealthy. And um, I was so, so afraid that I would get eight more months down the line and not want to hang out with my son, and not want to, you know, spend time with him, or what if we didn't bond, or what if, you know, all these what ifs, and I was really down and, and worried, and mom was like, why are you worried about eight months from now? Like, we need to focus on today. Are you better today than you were yesterday? You know, and if the answer is yes, then awesome. Like, let's celebrate that win. You know, and I think, like I said earlier, I think hoping for tomorrow is what we need to be doing rather than worrying about what's long-term. I think when we get long-term and we go, what if I still feel like this in blank months Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. when I get blank job or when, you know, what if my marriage still looks like this? It's like, well, maybe it won't. So we need to, like, cut (laughs) off that, like, (laughs) long-term negativity because it can really cause us to spiral and allow us or allow ourselves to just deal with today and then have hope that tomorrow is going to be better than today and then we can celebrate that win too um mom there are lots of moms in here and what are some practical ways that we can help prevent our children from becoming overly anxious just by proxy like just by watching us go through what we're going through how can we help our kids? Right. Well, um, I think the first step is to make sure we're doing the things that we're talking about, that you are actively working on your healing, that you are um, 
seeking counseling or working with a psychiatrist or, or both, um, that, that you're not accepting um, where you are today, you know, that you're, you, you kind of, you, you accept it as part of the journey, but not as I'm here and this is where I'm going to be. That's such a dead end for, you, for your family and yourself, more importantly, because you got to get yourself together. So I would just say that first step is be very active in um, getting out and getting help and then continuing to get help. You know, keep going back and, um, and working your process of healing. And uh, for the, the little, for the, when you're dealing with your little kids, I think you're, you're honest enough, um, but you're not going to attach a lot to it. I, don't, I wouldn't even say mommy's having a bad day. I'd say um, mommy's sad right now. You know, let's just encapsulate this moment. Um, mommy's sad right now, but I'm going to be okay. You know, just need a few, few more minutes, and then we'll go to the park. <laughs> you know? Um, so, and then, um, and, and you can tell them, you know, the older kid, you can tell them, you know, well, mommy's heart hurts, but I'm, I'm getting better. You know, always give the kid the hope that you're needing. Um, so that they're not attaching this to a permanent kind of thing, because they understand hurt. They get hurt, and then they get better. So it's okay for mommy's heart to hurt, you know. Um, and then for the teenagers, it's such a fine line. I, we have to model openness, because this is what you want from them, um, and honesty, because it's what we want from them, and of course perseverance, because they may encounter the same kind of junk you're dealing with. So that's what we got to model. So yes. We're going to be honest with them, but, you know, I don't think they're the, your most trusted inner circle. They are not your best friend. Your teenagers are not your best friend. And you need to, yes, they know you're struggling, and yes, you have hope, um, but you can't, you can't dump on them. Yeah, you can't yeah. process with them. Yeah. 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 You, you have to protect them to that, to that extent. One of the things my mom, if you've ever met my mom, you, I laugh because I'm thinking about this. One of the things my mom used to say, which really helped me, and she kind of took this hard stance. Um, she's got like a perfect mix of like tough and grace, but she always say, Amy, and you are not depressed. You're experiencing depression. And diagnoses are good because they help us treat. And so I'm not anti that at all, but she was so firm on being like, we don't have any other identity except what God says we are. And so I think even like thinking back to like people I've worked with or in my own experiences, my mom always remembering to call out their identity, which has nothing to do with their emotional health or wellness. Like that has absolutely, we're so big on labels in society now and it's good for some things, but to our detriment in others. And so remembering first and foremost, who's you are, what he says about you, and on your worst day, your lowest day, your saddest day, your most depressed day, your most anxious day, your value has not changed. Right. You are still the same strong, capable, talented, purposed woman that God created you to be. Like none of your value is depleted because you're having a low day. Like, that doesn't even make a difference. And so remembering, like, yes, I'm experiencing this right now, but God is bigger. 
he's more. I have supports and things that help me. And like knowing who you are, and I think I always think of that now. Like I'm not like I'm not depressed. I'm experiencing a depression today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like and like it's been yeah. it was a game changer for me. At first, I was a little salt like I was a little salty when she said it. I was like, you're not understanding me. But then I let it sit and think, and that has been one of the most profound things yeah. she's told me because mm -hmm. I never let it name like I never let it became who I was yeah. ever. Yeah. That's really good, and I think, too, that's um, <coughs> not taking possession of what it is that we're dealing with, you know, yeah. um, that we are continuing to speak life into ourselves, so I am overcoming this. This is something that I'm fighting yeah. against. Yeah, but have. then also, yeah. it's not my anxiety. It's not my depression. Yeah. I'm not taking that on myself. That's not something that I'm going to say is mine. It's not mine, it's the enemy's, and I reject it. Yeah. You know, so that's something that I'm going to continue to fight and overcome. And out loud say it, because the enemy cannot hear your thoughts. Yeah. And so there's mm -hmm. so much power in spoken word. If words are life or death, like, unless you're actually verbalizing life over yourself, it's not, it's not powerful, but it's that spoken word that's yeah. powerful. So we rebuke those lies. We rebuke those lies out loud, and we speak truth in replace of those out loud. Mm -hmm. Like, I, for years, fought fights in my head, and no one was hearing it but me and the Lord. <laughs> and so I wasn't even fighting the right enemy. So just remember, it's like, like I said, I rebuke those things out loud mm -hmm. all the time. I'm in my car. You probably think I have a few personalities. <laughs> I'm just whipping my hands around telling the people where you can go. I'm not a snapper, but I feel like I want to be like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to on, so I've got all the hands. <laughs> You know, I want to clarify one thing, that we're all kind of healthier now than we were before, yeah. but when you're in that darkness and all you want to do is get under the bed and get in the fetal yeah. position and you don't want to talk to anybody and walk into the summit seems like like trauma, yeah. then we're at, we're at a different place. And, yeah. and that place has to be treated differently where even talking to your child and saying it hurts, hurts. Yes. Yeah. And, that's a totally different place, and I think that we need to recognize that depression and anxiety does uh, is is in a spectrum also, mm -hmm. in that depression can get a lot more severe than what we're mm -hmm. talking about, Absolutely. and that when it gets to that point that you know that you need help, nine one one is your friend. <laughs> If there is no support system and if there is um, no one that you can call Absolutely. and you are in, in your fetal position and you've been there for days and you haven't eaten and there is no hope, there's a scripture that says that hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And one of the uh, symptom, uh, symptoms of depression is do you have hope? And the hope is gone when you're depressed. And to be able to say those positive statements and to believe in tomorrow and to think that life is going to get better, that doesn't exist. And so it's very important to know that it, it, it can get so bad that you can't even do what you need to do yeah. to get better. And you need help, and that's okay. Yes. Yes. And that just as there's a way in, there's always a way out. Yes. There's always a way out. That's good. That's so good. So if someone, Arlie, is dealing with depression and, and is kind of seasonal and they're not really sure... How can you tell when you need medicine or if you need medicine? Is that something that a counselor tells you? Is that something that you decide? And like, how do you navigate that whole like physical versus situational? 
if you want to measure and calendar it, you could always calendar if to see if there's a pattern. Um, and you could also ask yourself, how long have I been feeling this way? And how am I going to feel tomorrow? And if you don't know the answer to these questions, then you probably do need to talk to someone. If it's been too long since you've smiled, you can't remember laughing, and you notice that it's not getting better, then we need help. Then you need help. And uh, a therapist, uh, a doctor can talk to you about that. There are symptoms, and symptoms can be measured to the degree that you need medicine or you don't. But that is something that's actually measurable. And uh, if you're wondering about it, then you should get an answer for it. Because if you were diabetic, you would take your insulin. Mm -hmm. And um, the brain can go awry just like your kidneys or just like anything else. And it, sometimes it needs help. And that's all you're doing it, is you're giving it help. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that we need assistance to feel better. Yeah, we need to, to feel better. I think, too, there's misnomers with medicine, uh, a lot of misunderstandings. Um, I, don't take, I don't take medicine to be happy. I take medicine to be myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know this is very genetic for me. So it's very much a physical thing. It's very much in my DNA. So it's not like a, it's not something that I take to try to elevate my mood. You know, and I think that a lot of people think that it's just like um, an easy way out. And I'm like, no, it's like my pathway into allowing myself to live as Katie. Like, as the person that God created me to be, my brain needs to be fully functioning. And it requires something else in order to fully function. So for me, it's, it's just getting everything back to where, like, level levels. So, <coughs> and for so many, even to do any of the other things we talked about, the rebuking all that, you would need medicine yes. to even get to the point yeah, where you can, can do like, that, fight, right? yeah. seek yes. healing. Well, Maddie, um, I want to wrap up by asking, I think this is something that all of us uh, struggle with in, in seasons, and that is that we can talk all day about how good God is when things are good. And then when things get hard, it's like, how can he be good? Um, and I, I think that all of us have found ourselves in faith, in seasons of doubt or just really wondering where God is in the midst of hard things. And so how do we keep our faith strong when we go through a dip in, in our mental health? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that because I grew up in church, and so... Um, faith has always been a part of my life and I can remember you know making a personal decision and you know growing in my own faith um, but also again I mentioned like I'm I can be like performance driven and so there has just been a lot of my life spent like well, I got to read my Bible first and I got to read for this long and then God will be happy and and he won't be happy if I'm not like, doing these basic things so you know some of those things but um, when I went when this hit the anxiety and depression. This was the first time that I had gone through something that I did not feel God's peace. So before I got pregnant with my son, um, I had my first pregnancy and experienced a very early miscarriage. And even in that terribly painful time, I felt God's peace. When this happened, I didn't. 
and it was like, where are you? I mean, I'm reading the Bible. I'm, I'm like doing all these things. And not only is it not working, it feels like it's making it worse. Because here are these promises that honestly feel empty to me. And so I ended up in a place questioning everything about my faith. Um, you know, and I work at a church, so you want to talk about, you know, that's a whole other thing of, like, shame and all this, like, oh, great, you know. Do like, I have to quit? Yeah, like, what am I going to do now, <laughs> you know. Um, and and just just getting just getting to a very real place with that. And, and part of my experience with the postpartum depression and anxiety was, again, my brain's not functioning in a healthy way, and it's not processing rational thoughts very well. And so I started to develop this real fear of eternity. And, and there were days, and I actually heard, it was actually the pastor of our church that explained an experience he had like this, and I've kind of adopted this phrase because it was the best um, way I could explain it, was it was hard to exist. And then I felt myself caught in this, like, eternity, heaven, that is terrifying to me. But right now, life is terrifying to me. So it was this, talk about feeling trapped. I mean, and it was just, it was terrifying. Yeah. That, um, and so just processing just all of these things. And, and, and really, even as I started to get better, and I'm honestly, I'm still in the journey of this. There are still days that I read the Bible and I'm like, all right, that was good. Moving on. Like, <laughs> sorry, that probably sounds really bad, but like, like I, I think I'm just, I just try to be real with God instead of being like, did you know I read 12 chapters? Ha! Huh? I will be like, if I read a few verses and like I like receive from Him and like have a moment, I'm like, okay, and I'll listen to worship music if I want to, and I will listen to secular music if I want to, and like, like again, I just I can be very rules following all of this stuff. So. Um, one of the things I shared tonight at my table and possibly in the podcast was one of my big prayers when I was going through everything was, I just want to be back to normal. Please give me my life back. And very slowly and sweetly, God revealed to me, hey, I'm not, I love you too much. I'm not taking you back to where you were. Like, we're going somewhere better. Yeah. And so in the past, and this really resonated with me, what Arlie said about, we try to just push aside the negative feelings. That's what I had always done. If I had a negative feeling towards someone or towards God, I would just well, push it aside. I shouldn't feel this. I have started to embrace that tension and go, God, I know your promise is heaven, but frankly, heaven freaks me out. <laughs> I kind of like it here where there are pretty flowers, my husband and my son, and cute clothes. Like, you know, like, and so just embracing that, knowing somebody at our, Lauren said at our table tonight, she's like, God has his big boy pants on. He can handle, like, my stuff. You know, and just realizing, like, I'm not actually hiding anything from him when I'm not being real. And so just just being in that place and saying, this is where I'm at. And I would say some days, like, hello. You know, like, God, I just don't know. I'm confused. I don't want to read my Bible. All right, talk tomorrow. Like, you know, I just, and I just, I was like, that's all I can do. And I have the choice. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, I have the choice to go forward and, and be fake and forced. And I'm not saying that my whole faith was forced, but there was still that works mentality very rooted in this firstborn type A Baptist upbringing girl. And I, that just all had fed into that. So I had to just go, I can either go forward and be real and let him work in the scary places going, 
I might be freaked out about heaven, but I'm trusting that your word is real and that if something happened to me today, even though I don't have all this figured out, you, you're going to protect me and you're going to do what you said you do, that you have done. And I don't save myself, you save me. And if it's okay, I'll read this little part from my journal. Yeah. That, okay. I told Katie that I was praying. Not, I can call hot. It's okay. Um, I was praying before I came tonight. And again, that sounds all like, oh, I was just praying, very <laughs> curling my hair again. And I just take these things like I felt the like push to pray, and I've prayed in moments preparing for this. But I just said, I just got down on my knees, and this is probably a thirty-second prayer. I mean, just Lord, speak through me. I am your vessel, like you know, all, all those things. And at the end of the prayer, I just felt this, hey, like reminder of my journal that I wrote during some of this time that good grief I have not gone back to read like you know, even tonight I started reading so I was like oh yeah no, no. not interested <laughs> in that but at the end I thought I was like it was kind of, again all this was just kind of like coming of like oh maybe there's a like something you wrote from this day a year ago because this was my May June and July of last year was like the depths of it for me and at the end of my prayer it was like June 18th and I'm like oh, okay and then of course you know in my like control human brain I'm like uh, today's not June 18th, it's June 21st. But, so I go, <laughs> I go into my thing and I'm like, oh, June 18th. <laughs> so I read through this and it, it's not long, but um, I am just going to read this little part that I um, kind of underlined here. So this is from June 18th last year. If I'm honest, I haven't felt you moving in this season the way I thought or hoped you would. That's hard to say. It feels wrong to say disrespectful, but I just want to be honest with you. If I don't have you, I have nothing. I don't know what you're trying to show me in this, and I'm probably not supposed to know now, but God, I'm calling out to you, desperate. Your peace that you promise, let it come. God, you are the great I am. You are who you are, never changing, no matter what I go through. I don't know why I'm going through this trial, and I wouldn't pick it, but I trust you that you are carrying me and you are in control, and that you want the best for me. God, I pray for healing from postpartum depression and anxiety. I pray that I will get to encourage other women, and your light will shine. So you can see, reading that a year later is like, well, like, what? I'm in a room full of women, encouraging them. Like, what, like, more than I could have asked for or imagined. Like, this is... In the past, I would have loved something like this because, oh, look at me. I can talk, like, about this, and I'm in front of all these people. And, like, now I'm just like, I don't care. Me, you, like, whoever. Like, if, if any part of this story can just help say, hey, it's going to be okay. You're not alone. You're not crazy. You're not weird. Like, it's okay. I, I'm just, like, so, so thankful for that. And so I think from that passage, what I kind of shared with Katie, that in my, like, parting thought is just kind of, you know, I either believe what God says or I don't, you know, and so I'm not always going to feel it, and that was super challenging. Again, still, I'm, I'm healing and finding a new growth in my faith from that, but someone said to me, don't question in the dark what you've known to be true in the light, um, and what I had to do, the, at the bare minimum, what I could do, I would just sometimes say, God, I'm not giving up. I don't know. I don't feel you. I don't even. I don't even feel like I believe this stuff is true. But but I'm just choosing. 
I'm mm. choosing to believe your word. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to not give up. And I'm just telling you, I'm still here. I'm not happy. I don't get it. I think this is stupid. Like, because people will be like, well, you'll be able to encourage someone else one day. I'm like, you can encourage someone else. I want to be well. You know, like, I'm just like, like, God, like, just come on. Like, why? And, you know, because then I would even get to, well, why do bad things happen? Why do I have to go through something bad to help someone else going through something mm -hmm. bad? Can't we just not go through something bad? And people are like, we live in a broken world. I'm like, ugh. Okay. Anyway, I'm getting off the point. But all I, all I just want to say is, like, if at the very least you can say, I'm here. I'm not stopping. I'm not giving up. I don't feel it. I mean, like, but I'm, I'm just choosing to say, okay, your word is true. I'm waiting for you to show up because this, this is hard. So, yeah. I just want to hug you all. <laughs> yeah, I read something recently. I didn't actually read the book by C.S. Lewis, but I read a quote from him. <laughs> and um, he was talking about the fact that um, that God isn't concerned about our feelings in the sense that he's not offended when we struggle with doubt or with um, any kind of inconsistency within ourselves because we're human beings and he expects us to be frail. And really that faith is a matter of will. And he said, really, God doesn't really care how you feel as much as he wants you to choose him. Mm -hmm. And so we need to just continue to choose him. Every he day. knows every day. I do that still some days. I'm like, man, this makes no sense. I'm going to choose you. <laughs> choose you. I'm walking in your truth. Because, I mean, and that just really encouraged me. I love, I love C.S. Lewis. I think he's an incredible man of God. And he, he himself wrestled a lot with not always feeling it. And I think that we need to be give ourselves some grace when we don't feel it and know that God knows and he's okay with it and uh, just rest in the fact that he doesn't expect that of us and just choose him. I, uh, I just had this, I know we need to wrap it up, and I had this little nagging thing that um, uh, I really re like what, what you said earlier about the intrusive thoughts and uh, needing to address them and, and embrace them and, and all of that. And I also like what you said about how, you know, so often we do need medicine in order to be able to move forward. And I think in particular, I just wanted you guys to hear that together because a lot of times the intrusive thoughts and, um, you know, I, I remember I didn't have a lot of that, but it's an anxiety thing. And so I just remember seeing this uh, Walmart bag on the side of the road one day, and, I, and the first thought in my head was, what if there's a baby in there? <laughs> you know? Somebody has abandoned a baby, and it's just in that Walmart bag on the side of the road. You know, and, but this is the kind of thing, and really graphic stuff, this person who wrote the question was asking about, so you got, you got to get that under control a lot of the times um, medically enough to be able to address where is this coming from. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Did you have another thought, Mom, that you wanted to just close out with that all? Yeah, just as far as uh, the two big important things for me, I want to encourage us all to continue to drop pride because that is the enemy's tool. You know, and, and not only drop it for yourself, but drop it out of your judgment. I mean, we can be just having our struggles where we go, I'm not as bad as that person. Yeah. 
You know, we're still nastily human sometimes. Um, but just drop pride so that the enemy can't use it to hold you back in your healing. And, um, and then the other thing is not to settle because sometimes we say, well, I'm better, you know. And yet your face is still flat and you don't really want to go out and embrace life. That's not good. Um, don't, if, if you're not well, don't settle for not being well. Be well. Strive, struggle, go back, go back, go back, go back. Change your medicine, it didn't work. Go back, this one gives me side effects. Go back, go back to your counselor. Live well and don't settle for less. Amy, did you have something that one last thing? I think just overall, regardless of what you're going through, I know some people here may be in some very severe situations and you're needing medical help or some maybe coming out on the tail end or maybe just sometimes you're just struggling, whether it's with anxiety or insecurities or all the human things we deal with, thoughts. Um, if you're a single lady in here, I'm going to call you all because we've been talking a lot about marriage too. And I know, I know personally some of the just struggles that come with that when you are you feel like you're on your own and you don't have anyone on your side. And so I just want to encourage you, the, the resounding just when I look back from the hardest days to just even like the best days, like God wants to be so involved in all of it. Like he's, he's so good. He's so kind. And looking back on some of those really hard, hard days, I couldn't see it then, but the Lord was so close to me. And in fact, he was so close to me, almost to the point that I longed for that day in like a sick, it sounds sick way, but I longed for that season because I literally depended on him for everything. And so I don't know what your situation is or what your season is or whatever that may be, but trust him. He'll give you wisdom and guidance, whether it's what to know, how to know what to do or who to reach out to or um, I went through a severe season of loneliness and just with all this, which like compounded it, made it worse. And he sweetly, after so much prayer, provided the right friends and the right community. So you might be thinking, well, I don't have community. All this sounds great, but I don't have what y'all are talking about. God wants to provide for all of your needs. And it's in our human nature and flesh to want to be perfect and to want to be strong and to want to always appear right. But that's not God's word. God's word says that in our weakness, his power is made perfect. And so when we realize that, no, God does not create these situations and these horrible things, but everything we go through that is hard is an invitation to get to know more of His nature and His character and His goodness. And, and He will faithfully get you through it and, and to keep yeah. that hope and just know that you have a Heavenly Father that so adores you and you are no less of a Christian, no less of a woman for any of your struggles. And so just remember that. Like you are so adored, so loved. And whatever it is he's leading you to do for healing or for hope, like Miss Donna said, don't stop pursuing it. Do not stop pursuing it. He came so me to have life and life to the full. And, and he'll use every little bit of all of your journey. So just be encouraged in that. And, yeah. I just wanted to say that um, we hear a lot about God dying for our sin, but he also died for our shame. And the way that we view ourselves sometimes mm -hmm. is in a very shame-based way. But he took that so that we don't have to walk around feeling like we're defective or that we don't have value mm -hmm. or that everyone else has got this and we don't have that. That was taken. You don't have to live under that. Mm -hmm. That was taken. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes we focus on the sin. I did this and I said this and I'm bad and I'm this. But if the enemy could get you to hate yourself, and if he could get you full of shame that you don't deserve a good life, 
then your relationship with God is also broken. Because we have to be able to attach ourselves to that great love. Yes. So that we can love ourselves. Absolutely. He took that shame. We don't have to live in it. That's so good. I'm reading a book right now called He Loves Me by Wayne Jacobson. And um, it's fantastic. Um, and it just totally along the lines of if you're needing to understand the Father's love for you, man, he, he helped write The Shack, the book The Shack. Um, and uh, he kind of had, he was in ministry for like 35 years and then suddenly had this revelation of God's love for him and it like totally changed his life. And so I just really recommend it. He's a very flowery writer. If you're into that, I'm not as much, but it's still really good. So I'm still reading it, and I really love it. So um, yes, Don, what's the book you Leading on Empty, Leading. Wayne. Wayne Cordero, D E I R O. Those Waynes, they write good books. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to wrap up by praying for us, but I wanted to let you all know um, that I've created a Facebook group under the um, Untethered Podcast Facebook page for this table um, because I really think that the, the purpose for this night ultimately is connecting with others and connecting in community because ultimately God created us to heal one another. Um, he said that you confess your sins to one another so that you can be healed, but I think that you also confess your struggles and you confess your pain and you confess your hurt, and it brings healing. So I want to have a place where we can pray for each other, uh, where we can con continue to connect. I hope that you made friends tonight that you'll go get coffee and things like that, but um, I'd love for you to be a part of that Facebook group. So, I mean, you can find, you can find it on Facebook if you search Untethered Podcast. Um, and so just so that we can continue this conversation, I'd love for y'all to be a part of that. And uh, I hope y'all have a good time tonight. Yes. It's so much later than I said it would end. <laughs> but we could just hang out forever. So um, I am so grateful for you guys and for your willingness to come and be honest and to uh, have a really important conversation and I want to continue to have it and I hope that you will as well. I was telling my table earlier I think that it's important for us in this room to be able to break that shame stigma off of what we're dealing with so that we can go out and break it off of other people. Mm -hmm. Take the confidence that you have tonight looking around and going, wow, these ladies are amazing and strong and dealing with something hard, and be able to go out and tell other people who are dealing with something hard, you're amazing and strong too. So that the church can truly be the body of Christ in supporting those who are dealing with this thing that I don't think that we've done the greatest job at supporting. Right. So like, let's support each other and go and can let it ripple out into your other communities as well. And don't wait to be perfect to encourage others. Yes, <laughs> because it ain't gonna happen. Well, <laughs> none of us will be up here. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm gonna pray for y'all. Thank you again for being a part of this, Father. We love you, and we honor you as the one who loved us first, and the one who has given everything so that we could have abundant life. 
And Lord, we trust in that tonight, and we lean into it, and we expect it, and we anticipate it, and we leave here with hope, God, that you are going to bring the abundance that you have for us, God. And we, we will not put you in a box. We trust in your time. We trust in your uh, picture of what abundance looks like for us. And Father, I pray for every woman in this room who is dealing with some kind of sickness, some kind of illness, Father, I pray healing over them in the name of Jesus. I pray that, I just pray that you would surround them with your angels, Father, to protect them against every attack of the enemy. I rebuke Satan off of the lives of every lady in here and just say that he will not conquer us in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you have loved us perfectly and perfect love casts out fear. And I thank you that nothing shall by any means harm us. I thank you, Lord, that you are ultimately victorious over every attack of the enemy. And I pray, Father, that every um, fight that we are in, enduring right now with our, with our minds, everything that the enemy is throwing at us and everything that we're dealing with physically, I thank you that your, your blood, Jesus, has was shed so that we could be healed. And so we receive that tonight. We receive your healing. We, we accept and receive what you did for us. And we, we walk in that healing. We walk in that truth. We choose you. And Father, I pray that, that this would be a catalyst for hope and healing in the lives of every person here. And we thank you in advance for all the good things that you are going to do in and through our lives. And we love you and we give you glory for all that you are and all that you've done and will do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks so Thank you. much. Thank you, Katie. So that was our first Untethered Table. It was such an amazing night, and I'm so grateful for everyone who helped make it happen. It definitely took a village of friends and sponsors. And I have to honor my friend Ashton Duggar, who helped me think through every detail and find sponsors to make the night special and move the heaviest sofas you've ever lifted in order to make room for the tables on the day of the event. I truly couldn't have pulled it off without her. I hope you are encouraged as you listen to the wisdom God has given the ladies on our panel. I'm praying that you will walk away from this episode of the podcast the same way we did from Untethered Table last summer, full of hope and anticipation for God to move in your life in a powerful way. If you're going through a difficult season with your mental health, don't forget that having a next step is crucial. Pray and consider what yours might be, whether that's counseling or seeking medical help or maybe even just opening up to a friend for the first time. Baby steps are a great way to start. Just be sure to keep taking them. We hope to have more Untethered Table events this year, so if you're interested in being a part, be sure to follow Untethered Podcast on Instagram for updates. You can also find me on Instagram at Katie Lee Vogel. That's it for today's episode. I'm praying for you, and I believe your best days are absolutely ahead.